Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. This episode is brought to you by Thinking Ahead. Thinking Ahead's diverse team of executive recruiters specialize in executive-level talent acquisition in the world's most competitive and sought-after industries. As an employee-owned company, Thinking Ahead has award-winning consultants widely recognized as subject matter experts in their respective specialties, including banking, life sciences, healthcare, nonprofit, IT and gaming, energy, legal, security, and sales. Since 1982, Thinking Ahead has built expertise and delivered results that keep their clients engaged year after year. They believe that recruiting is not a one-size-fits-all solution. Their wide-ranging expertise enables them to ask the right questions, arrive at the best answers, and deliver desired results quickly. They continue to excel on their mission to connect the right people with the right organizations at the right time. Visit thinkingahead.com to learn more about how our specialists can help you recruit top-level talent, or serve as a trusted advocate in your career search. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. And today we have Greg Boucher, the president of Thinking Ahead. Greg, we are so excited to have you here on the Action Catalyst podcast. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, well, you are just such uh, an amazing, accomplished Southwestern uh, you're you're a member of the board of directors. You're the president of one of the largest executive search firms in the state of Tennessee, uh, and you started your career here at Southwestern Advantage. Uh, how many years ago was that, Greg? How long have you been with Southwestern now? I sold books from 1978 through 1984, and then joined the firm professionally in '84. Ah. Well, take us back in a time machine. How did you find Southwestern? What was your life like before Southwestern? And then how did it change once you found Southwestern? Well, um, I played uh, college soccer uh, at the University of Florida. And uh, the captain of the team was a guy who had uh, sold books. And um, I would uh, walk home from practice every day with him. And I didn't realize it, but for many months, he was attempting to recruit me to sell books, but I was such uh, uh, emotionally unintelligent that I didn't get it. (laughs) And then one day, it just dawned on me that he had been making a lot of money and learned a whole lot uh, selling books. And uh, finally, the lights came on and I said, I want to hear about this. And, And that's when I went to my interview. And uh, prior to that, uh, Dustin, I, I'd always always been a super hard worker, always active, always had uh, a million jobs when I was in junior high and high school. I'd been working since I was seven years old. I lied about my age to get a paper out and, uh, and was delivering papers when I was seven. Um, so how it changed my life is I finally got an opportunity to get paid what I was worth, to get paid in direct proportion to the value that I was creating for others. Hmm. And that was a whole lot better than minimum hourly wage. Wow. 
And how, what were some of the things like when you started with Southwestern Advantage that caused you to think, man, maybe I want to stay here for longer than just a few years and build a career here? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. So uh, what really happened, Dustin, is after I got my master's degree, I had a career job lined up that wasn't even in business. I got a master's in public administration and I was going to work with uh, the Florida Aviation Administration. And uh, that job fell through. And um, so I was on the hunt for another job. And uh, right at that time was when the company was getting ready to start Southwestern Placement, right? The part of our company that places the Southwestern dealers in career jobs. And um, they flew me up here to, uh, to look at that. And um, as I got to hearing the story about what could happen with this division, I began to realize how much I was like-minded, like the people who worked here and the culture of being entrepreneurial, um, working in a meritocracy. Um, I had forgotten in just one year how important those things are to me. So when I had a chance to see that after coming up here to interview, um, I realized, man, those are such draws. I almost didn't even care what the job was. I just wanted to be back in a right type of environment. Mm, culture is more important than anything. Culture trumps strategy any day. <laughs> so so now tell us of your journey with thinking ahead. And uh, yeah, at the time, what was the name of the company when you started? And, and what was the journey from there? Yeah, so... Uh, um, my mentor, Carl Roberts, had launched Southwestern Placement in 1982, and that began to get traction. So I was the second person to come into the company in 84 was when I started. And so for the first six years, we essentially counseled and placed the Southwestern dealers with a variety of companies. Some of them were sister companies. A lot of them were outside companies. Back then, uh, IBM and Xerox were the Google and Apple of the day, and they would actually pay us a service fee to come interview and hire the Southwestern dealers. So mm -hmm. basically, we functioned like a very high-end, very first-class uh, college placement office. And so while doing that for that six years, Dustin, was when we became exposed to the concept there's a, a whole profession out there called executive search or headhunting. And so as we were getting uh, career services, I'm sorry, uh, Southwestern placement up to uh, about a million dollars in revenue was when we realized that, gosh, this could really take off. And that became uh, a transition point, uh, maybe an example of redefining possible, because that's when we realized that we could really grow this thing into uh, uh, a national type of organization. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah. Tell us more about that. Tell us about the journey and also the struggle, because really that's what redefining possible is all about is overcoming uh, the barriers and breaking through belief barriers. So there had to be a lot of that as you guys were expanding into different verticals. And uh, that'd be interesting to hear a few of those stories. Yeah, very much so. So just launching a search firm was uh, um, difficult because uh, especially before, it was uh, it was a very private industry. People were very very guarded. There wasn't an abundance an abundance mentality. So um, 
you had to really work hard to try and find somebody who could tutor you or coach you about how to grow a search firm. That's greatly changed over the decades, but it was a, a very closed private club back in uh, the early 90s. So uh, we would attend as many seminars as we could and um, rub shoulders with people that we knew to be successful search firm owners, and, and we were able to learn a lot that way. Um, part of the struggle was this. When we initially opened up the firm, Dustin, we were largely a sales house. So we worked with organizations ranging from the Inc. 500 to the Fortune 500, um, typically recruiting sales talent for them. As we were doing that, um, we began to realize there was some, some ceilings on um, ticket sizes, ceilings on opportunity. So we decided to branch out into other verticals. So that's when we started getting into banking, into legal recruiting, into nonprofit leadership, uh, the life sciences and pharmaceutical industry. Um, and each time we started into one of those areas, we decided to take the homegrown tomatoes approach. So mm -hmm. rather than hiring existing talent who was already good at life sciences headhunting, uh, we grew everybody from scratch. Mm. It's a longer road to hoe, but man, when the tomatoes bloom, they're beautiful and they were all ours. So we, we, uh, we chose to take that approach and that had a, has had a very, very nice payoff. Wow. But when you sum it up, we built a bunch of mutual funds. So at any one time, you may have a few sectors that are down like nowadays with, uh, with the pandemic. But for sure, that means other sectors are going to be up. And like a mutual fund, that gives you great opportunity, but also great protection. Hmm. Tell us about uh, growing these tomatoes. And on the leadership front, you know, growing an organic team, doing millions of dollars and in different sectors, like you said, each one of those are really like their own business. And what, what would you say has been some of the, the biggest lessons that you've learned about leadership and growing other leaders within the business? Hmm. I feel like I have been schooled in that time and time again, and I still have a lot more uh, schooling to do. Perhaps the, the key idea in, in growing our own people was this, Dustin. We, we knew we could teach the skills for people to be successful because a, a great search person is a lot like a great attorney or a great uh, surgeon where it's a, it's a skill that's been honed and refined time and time again. Um, but we can't teach will. And half the secret to, to building the firm was finding those people who were willing to go to school to gain the skill, but they already had the will within them mm. to be able to take this training and grow their piece of the enterprise. So, so tell us a little bit about that and, and maybe expand upon it with this point of view. So you work with some of the best companies in the world and you help place their key executives, key people with them. What would you say are the top traits that companies look for in candidates? Yeah, smart question. Very, very timely question. I'd say there's maybe um, a trinity of traits 
that companies are looking for uh, when they're when they're hiring people. And again, knowing we've got a real diverse audience here today, um, these are going to be pretty broad. Uh, but the first one is going to be absolutely communication skills. Mm. Um, just just this morning, I had a call with our practice lead in our gaming division uh, to try and help a client over the hump. They um, they needed a role filled, Dustin, that truly there, there's only about 700 men and women in the United States who can do this job. Wow. And that is not a lot of people. The job is in Loomis, California, a suburb of Sacramento. And um, we, we had one of those candidates on the hook and the client wanted to make an offer. But sadly, the candidate did not answer a couple of the interview questions really well when it was time for a panel interview. And they really had a, a few concerns about that person's ability to communicate as it relates to strategic objectives, because this person was going to be a team lead uh, for a front end development shop. And um, that's just a, a very vivid example to me right now of where good communication skills, both written and verbal, are important even in this technical world that we live in. Um, because people have to understand what it is that you do. I'd say the second thing that uh, makes a candidate great is resiliency. Business climates are constantly changing. You know, what's hut for one, two, three year period may not be hut in the two, three years following that. And um, candidates who get stuck or leave a job because they felt their company was changing too much, um, actually wind up hurting their candidacy because their next employer is just gonna be the exact same way if it's a good company. And too many, too many um, candidates don't understand that. They have to be resilient in the face of adversity um, because of it, adversity is in every company, in every uh, sector out there in the economy. Um, now, one of the more common things I'm hearing these days about what makes a good candidate, Dustin, is, uh, is people learning to live with ambiguity. Hmm. Learning to live with ambiguity because everything is changing so frequently. The velocity of change these last 20 years is is so tremendous that uh, people come in and they're hired for one job, but six months later, the strategic direction of that department or that company may be changing. And too many people don't know how to live with the ambiguity that comes from shifting priorities. And, um, and what we found is the candidates that get the good roles, the candidates who get promotions are the one who learn how to live with that ambiguity and make something of it until there's clarity. Wow. So communication skills, resiliency, learning to live with ambiguity. I, I would possibly call that flexibility where they, they really are able to roll with the innovations and changes that are happening so rapid right now. So yeah, well said. That is, that is fascinating, Greg. What, what would you say in terms of uh, your finger on the pulse right now? What are some of the things that you're seeing where 
there's certain businesses that are growing and there's certain businesses that, that are not. Is there anything that you're finding interesting right now from your point of view with what's going on with people working virtually and you know, the world's changing. So do you, do you have any interesting insights that the listeners might find fascinating from a top, the number one executive search firm in Tennessee might have? Um, yes. If we think there's been a lot of change in the last five, six months, man, hold on to our hats because it, the change is going to be even more dramatic as the unpredictability of the pandemic, um, continues to play out, right? So um, one of the things that I'm seeing now is so many organizations are now embracing virtual workers. Um, in the last month, we've written so many search assignments where it's been with existing clients and they would normally be absolutely manda mandating that the new higher talent would have to report to one of their offices. And now the searches are all, this person can work from home. Um, that greatly increases the talent pool for the organizations that have gone there because now they're not bound by a limiting geographic boundary, right? So that's one of the things that we're seeing now, just this huge embracing of uh, virtual work. And of course, Everybody knows that that's going to have a downstream effect on commercial real estate because a lot of organizations are already thinking through, man, do we need to maintain this square footage that we've had, mm -hmm. right? A couple of other things that we're seeing right now, um, those organizations that will cater to personalization are also seem to be growing. So I mentioned our gaming space and a search that we had in Loomis, California. So just as an example, what that practice does, Dustin, is they recruit incredibly high-tech people to design social gaming, which is like the video games you and I used to play when we were younger, but on our mobile phone. Hmm. And then using your mobile phone like a, like a, Xbox console where you can play with a gazillion friends, even when you're 36 years old, right? And, uh, and what we're noticing is that those clients hiring needs have shot through the roof because they believe that um, social gaming and gaming from your phone is going to totally take over the console market. Um, and that's an example of personalization of IT and entertainment. Hmm. Man, technology is fascinating. Uh, I know Zoom, uh, we have a Southwestern alumni right. who actually is one of the, the top sales revenue uh, officers there. And uh, it's it's been a game changer, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has. You know, I was just reading an article that um, um, Zoom's income has doubled in the last seven month run. Wow. Whereas a lot of the tech companies, their, their revenue has increased 30%, which will all take a 30% gain, right? But Zooms has absolutely doubled in seven months. It's a great run for those guys. Wow, that's amazing. Well, there's a lot of people listening that are inspired by that. And, and also there's probably people 
that are uh, going through some tough times right now. So to that listener, if if somebody right now, they're kind of in the middle of it, what what piece of advice would you give somebody, Greg, to say, here's how you can redefine possible for your life and to keep going, even though right now, you know, things might be tough. I would offer, um, again, um, maybe a trilogy of ideas here for somebody who's taken some kidney punches. And frankly, that's nine out of 10 people that I talk to every day. Um, And the first thing is actually I want to double down on the work effort. Mm. Uh, Just as an example, when uh, our firm hit the wall um, on March 23rd, when the Safer at Home order came out and we just started seeing everything, uh, all the wheels fall off the wagon. Um, By the end of April, we had the plan in place that we actually had to double our biz dev calls just to keep pace with where we were. It was almost like Alice in Wonderland and the Mad Hatter, you know, in that scene where he says, I have to run twice as fast just to stay in the same place. Um, But the team did it because everybody really got the idea that we actually have to double down on our work effort. Um, And I think that's going to be true for everybody. Uh, But the second thing, though, that it takes is to um, look at what you're doing and realizing and accepting that what used to work doesn't work anymore. You know, in the search business, we've been preaching to the team that in any given year, 20% of the profession changes and tools and techniques that used to work, well, 20% of that is not gonna work in this next year. So that by the time five years rolls around, If you're still doing business the same way that you were before, then you're pretty obsolete. And so that's why it's just really important that on the second point, uh, people have to take a good hard look at what they're doing and realize and accept what isn't working and move that out of their daily practices. Mm -hmm. Realize what is working and supplant the old stuff with the new stuff. So for example, Um, we had one client, which was a medical sales client that sells uh, into the lymphedema market space and their sales reps get physician referrals. And then the sales reps actually go see the patients in their home. Well, when COVID hit, that got to be a real stumbling block, right? Because the patients didn't want people in their homes the sales reps didn't want to go into afflicted people's homes. Mm-hmm. So the company was really slow to adopt Zoom technology because they felt, well, no, we're a face-to-face sale and we're a customer care organization. And all it took was about two months of only doing about 10% of the sales that they did in the prior comparison year to realize that they had to change they weren't willing to shed their old way of doing things that wasn't working. Wow. Of course, think about it. That was back in the days, Dustin, early days of the pandemic when we thought, oh, by Labor Day, everything will be back to normal. That's right. (laughs) 
Uh, I'm just going to wait and see. I'm going to take a wait and see mentality. The folks that, that took the wait and see mentality sure have been waiting a long time, haven't they? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. They were thinking it'd be a V curve or an elongated U, but uh, who knows what, what consonant it's going to turn out to be, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, let me finish up with that third point about uh, overcoming adversity. And um, the, the final thing, and uh, man, this may be old school, but it is, it's absolutely the value of persistence making your plan and sticking with it and literally just getting up and dusting your arms off one more time. Um, so much of that is understated, but it is, it is so much the truth that uh, the last man standing uh, is going to be the winner. And so that's one thing I've been seeing in a lot of great salespeople, whether whether it's with our firm or others in our family of companies, um, the folks who are persistent are the ones who are going to be standing when we get on the other side of this. Uh, so much wisdom right there, Greg. That is brilliant. And yeah, just to summarize, double down on work effort. Number two, what used to work will, uh, does not work anymore. And number three, persistence, never give up kill the quit. Mm -hmm. So good. Yeah. Well said. Thank you. Well, Greg, this has been such a fun uh, time together and hearing your journey of, of what uh, you have done to get to where you are today. And also words of wisdom uh, for the listeners on how they can get through whatever they're going through, whether times are good or whether times are uh, the times of struggle. And it's just been uh, so energizing and uplifting and appreciate you joining us here on the Action Catalyst. Well, it's my pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Keep up the good work. Thanks, Greg. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.